a coaching search, a lot of questions, and a Pac-12 championship game. All ahead on an all-new episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Well, Oregon State started the week without a football coach and will probably end the week with a coach. I don't know when you're listening to this, but Oregon State expected to uh, wrap up its search for Jonathan Smith's replacement. And you could be listening to this after they have already announced because uh, it uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, midday, and uh, an announcement is expected as soon as Wednesday. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. I'm with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. You can read him at Pac-12Hotline.com. Wilner, I've got the names of the seven people that Oregon State's interviewed. Can I just go through them with you? I mean, just to, so we can talk about, you know, uh, how qualified or unqualified uh, or how good this search is in your eyes. I mean, is that a good thing to do? Let's do it. All right. Trent Bray, defensive coordinator, Oregon State. The guy that a lot of people think are is going to get the job and may already have it by the time you're listening to this. Trent Bray is the defensive coordinator. Um, he is a candidate. I, I think he does bring continuity and helps Oregon State maybe uh, maybe focus on uh, retaining some of the players on the defensive side of the ball. But how do you view handing the keys to a D coordinator who's never been a head coach? A little bit risky, uh, but I think that you know they don't have a choice in, in avoiding risk. Right, the whole situation is fraught. They need to move quickly. Transfer portal is opening on Monday, December 4th. Uh, so they they certainly don't have a whole lot of time here. I can understand why they want to move, and and then I don't know that there's a risk-free option. Jonathan Smith, his salary at Michigan State in year one will be $7.25 million, $7.25 million. He was getting four point eight five at Oregon State this last year. Does that is that a no-brainer to you, like when you go from 4.85 to 7.25? I mean uh, – <laughs> It's easy to say no. You got to take into a, a lot of things into account. But then, if that if the offer is actually in front of you, then maybe it is a no brainer. What do you know? What Oregon State was going to offer him in terms of uh, any kind of boost if he had stayed? Scott Barnes told me he had a extension offer in front of him, and I got the impression that John, it wasn't about money at Oregon State. That it was more about the uncertainty of twenty twenty four and beyond. Yeah, and you've got an agent in Jonathan Smith's ear that obviously is probably advocating for security in the Big Ten Conference. But I think you and I maybe may see this the same way. Michigan State, look, I covered the Big Ten in the late 90s. And maybe it's a different job if you got new boosters, you got Matt Ishbia involved, and you know he wants to pour a bunch of money into it. But that's not a great job in the Big Ten. That's like the fifth or sixth best job. Oh, yeah, at best. And it's a lot like Oregon State in that it's got a, you know, kind of a, a, a richer – more successful neighbor right down the road, right? I mean, Corvallis to Eugene uh, and those football programs is a lot like East Lansing to Ann Arbor. So you are definitely second fiddle in your state. And then you, you know, you factor in who else is coming into that league, right? I mean, with Oregon, Washington, and USC at plus Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, I mean, it is a tough job. I could see him getting lost in the machinery of the Big Ten and just kind of being a, a, a really good coach at a mid-level program, and that's that's kind of it. Brent Brennan 
head coach at San Jose State, also interviewed on Monday with Oregon State. Um, he's a guy who's done – you know San Jose State. It's right in your backyard. Give us – give our listeners an idea of what winning and going to bowl games three years out of four means for a coach at San Jose yeah, State. Yeah, I mean, it's really – it's very, very difficult to do, and he's he's done a great – he is a relentless recruiter, and he is very good with the community engagement piece, and I have to thank Oregon State – you know, they need somebody who's going to sell because they got such a difficult situation moving forward. They got to sell internally and externally. And Brennan is very positive and uh, just basically a bottomless well of energy. Uh, and he can recruit. There's no doubt about that. So I can see why they would have him on their list. And also what he he's worked at Corvallis. So he knows the landscape up there. Yeah, and A bunch of his assistant coaches. He's got Lyle Moivau, the former quarterback at Oregon State, as an analyst. He's got uh, Samalo as his defensive coordinator and uh, D-line coach. Oregon State fans will remember him. And, you know, you've got a whole bunch of former Oregon State assistants on that staff. They would not need a map for the campus. Other people that Oregon State included in the pool, Josh Gaddis, University of Maryland offensive coordinator. He was previously at Michigan as the OC and Miami and Alabama. He was the Broyles Award winner in 2021 as the best assistant in the country. Matt Wells, now an offensive analyst at Oklahoma. He interviewed as well. Um, he he uh, crossed paths with Scott Barnes at Utah State. Um, and, uh, and the other guys uh, are different than those two. But I, I look at Gaddis and I think, you know, only Zoom could bring Gaddis into this conversation. And, and it's a very easy Zoom call for a guy who's at Maryland. And the search firm is probably, I think, going to have their fingerprints on this one. But Matt Wells, he worked with Barnes. And Barnes promoted him when Gary Anderson left Utah State to go to Wisconsin. And so there's some there's some synergy there with, with Scott Barnes. And Paul Christ, uh, the former Wisconsin coach, Bronco Mendenhall interviewed, and Troy Calhoun, the current coach at Air Force. That, that rounds out the seven that I know interviewed on Monday. Anything jump out to you there? Well, I'd want to know what Calhoun – I think Calhoun's a really good coach. I would want to know what his plan is. I'm not sure that the triple option is going to work at Oregon State <laughs> on a bunch of levels. Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, I think Chris is a good coach for sure. Um, Bronco too, but they, the situation that they are entering, they have got to have someone who is hungry and relentless, will not take no for an answer, will not go to sleep, will not rest. I mean, it is going to be the first couple of years. I just think they got to get somebody who is hungry and on the rise rather than someone who has been a head coach and is kind of looking for, you know, uh, a, another career stop, so to speak on the, on the downside, uh, they got to, to me, they got to go young and hungry. And that could be Brennan could be others on, on that list. But I, I just think that that's so the energy factor is so important here. Yeah, I think Bray, I put Bray as a two to one odds. I put Brennan at three to one right behind him. I think it's those two. I think if you're Oregon State, those are the two. And 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 granted, you know, you have to act fast. You want to go with something you know. And I think there's familiarity with both of those guys. Uh, let's well, here, get, so yeah. I got two questions. Yeah, though. go ahead. So so Brian Lindgren, the OC, he's not a candidate, huh? Looks like he's headed to Michigan State with Jonathan Smith. I think I okay. think the offensive guys are going. Jim Mahalchek, the off the run game coordinator. Uh, taken off as well, but um, Lindgren's interesting because you know the openings at Boise State and San Diego State 
may be more earmarked for him. You know, those kinds of jobs. I don't know. And I, I had originally thought that he would be a strong candidate for those two schools. But now with, you know, the uncertainty of 2024 up in the air for everybody, I, I, I just wonder if getting to the Big Ten Conference, even for a good assistant coach, matters. And then, you know, there was always in the back of my mind, too, a question of, like, would USC call Trent Bray? And is a USC deep coordinator position better for Bray than the head coaching job at Oregon State? I don't know. That's a debate for another day, I think. Yeah. The The other question I had is, uh, did you see Jonathan Smith basically said when in East Lansing that he's known for a long time this was going to happen? Yeah. Like it wasn't yeah. official. He needed to sleep on it. But, I mean, I was surprised he said that publicly. Uh and how that would resonate in Corvallis, him saying that. The other thing that made me think, though, is that, you know, Scott Barnes had to have been getting his shortlist together for many, many weeks here. Yeah, Scott Barnes told me yesterday on Monday that he, five weeks ago, he put a contract in front of Jonathan Smith and got an indication that Michigan State was in contact with his agent. And, you know, he knew at that point there was a risk, there was a flight risk there. And so... If he didn't have his, you know, can't short list of candidates together, then I think it would have been irresponsible. But the fact that they were able to interview seven people on Monday tells me that the search firm was on this and that Barnes was on this. And they know how fast they have to move. And, you know, I was told all of the interviews were done via Zoom. And so it's going to be somebody who knows the campus and somebody who knows them. And that's why I take Josh Gaddis out of the running here. He's Maryland, Michigan, Miami, hes I don't think he's ever been to campus, and I don't see him taking the job. I think its its I think he's interviewing more as a get-to-know-you, and, you know, if Oregon State gets its legs under it one day and maybe the Scott Barnes crosses his paths again, they, uh, they look at Josh Gaddis for another job at another time. But um, same goes Troy Calhoun. I mean, he's, he grew up in McMinnville, Oregon, went to Roseburg High School, I think it's more of a local thing. Bronco Mendenhall's been out of it for two years. He's been on a ranch in Montana. Paul Christ really, Paul Christ reminds me of Chip Kelly. Really good offensive mind, but can, can he recruit in this world of NIL and the transfer portal? That's a big yep. question for Chris, and I think it's too much of a risk. So I think, it's, I think you're right. I think it's Bray and Brennan, and it's probably already decided by the time most listen to this podcast. You um, know who's on my short list? Yeah, go. Pacific oysters. Oh, I love it. King salmon. I love it. Dungeness crab. Oh, definitely, definitely North Atlantic lobster. You would. You, who's your betting favorite there? Uh, you said you had me at lobster. All right. <laughs> My kids are crazy about the crab, though. And we did that last summer. We did a seafood boil, and we used, uh, you know, all the seafood products that Pacific Seafood offers, and. We had a great time, and the kids just love crab. And it was just—do they know how to actually pull it apart? They do, and they didn't learn it from me. My wife is uh, introduced them to it, young age. Like I didn't know; I was probably thirty by the time I had crab for the first time and knew what I was doing. It seemed like a lot of work to me back in the day for very little payoff. But man, the quality of the crab, the um, quality of all the products that Pacific Seafood offers is fantastic, and. For people who are looking for a gift idea this holiday season, PacificSeafood.com. Check out their full array. They'll ship anywhere. You can have it delivered, uh, order it online. It's very easy. Uh, and if you use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout, you get 12% off your offer. So you get 12% off your order. 
So go ahead and do that. Take advantage of that and and uh, be a hero this holiday season. PacificSeafood.com. And we, we really appreciate them. They are a sponsor of this podcast, and and uh, we uh, appreciate that they know that you are an absolute army th- that is out there listening to this podcast. Uh, to this episode in that uh, you're going to check out their their products at pacificseafood.com. Wilner. And we hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Didn't eat quite too much. I I, uh, I was very close to over the edge on how much I ate, but I was able to pull back at the last second. You sound How'd like it a go pilot. for you? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, I had a great Thanksgiving. It was good. football. It was everything Thanksgiving should be. It was family. It was football. You know, my grandfather, may he rest in peace. He was such a big personality, a big influence on my life. And we have a tradition. He used to, every Thanksgiving when I was a kid, he would uh, he would sit in front of the football games on Thanksgiving Day as, you know, the turkey's roasting and the, kind of in that lull before you're going to eat and everything's going to happen. And he would have a highball. So he would get a, uh, get a little whiskey on the rocks with a little bit of... Uh, with a little bit of 7-Up in there, and uh, he would have a highball, and he would always take a drink and say, oh, that's a good one. And uh, we do that in his honor. I mean, he passed away years ago, and we did it again. My dad was around, and Anna, and, you know, everybody was of drinking age. We uh, toasted and had a highball and watched football and ate turkey. So it was it's a great Fantastic. holiday. I'm, I'm big on traditions. I don't know about you guys, but do you have a tradition, sure. like a Thanksgiving tradition that you guys do every year? Uh, we celebrate with uh, some friends of ours who live in San Francisco. My kids, though, they're they're down on turkey, so we actually had beef tenderloin Ooh, this year, and it was really good. I'm kind of the I'm kind of the holdout. I I, I prefer the turkey, but I also don't want to force extra cooking mm. upon those who are doing the cooking. So uh, the the we had beef tenderloin. It was really good. Really good. That's fantastic. You know, I'm watching, certainly watching the football, thankful for the day off, thankful that there was no uh, no news out of Washington uh, State Supreme Court on Friday. Uh, we did get a little bit of news today. We can get into that. We, got a, we actually have a lot to talk about besides the Oregon State coaching search, right? I mean, we got a championship game. Yes. We got to get to our picks on that. Uh can little court news. There's some coaching news at UCLA. Yeah. A little bit of coaching news yeah. Arizona. What? Do, where do we want to get? Can, get can into? I start with a question? Can I ask you? I, I'm honestly, I don't know what you're going to say to this, and and I want to ask you this question. In, traditionally, it is, it is historically a tradition in the Pac-12 that the conference commissioner presents the winning team with the trophy after the title game, and usually, that said person gets booed. You know, Larry Scott got booed. Will George Klehovkoff get on stage and present Oregon or Washington with the trophy, or how are, how is the Pac-12 going to do that? That's a great question. I have not, uh, I haven't looked into it. Uh, maybe he has been uh, a wall for a long time here. Uh, I don't think he's uttered a public peep. It's been I don't know, maybe a year, right? He's yeah. been silent. Uh, I don't know if he's going to make an appearance. Do they just Certainly hand it to he's the not TV? Gonna have TV partner, TV partner, hand it to the winning team. They could what, have what happened? Yeah, I mean, they could have uh, what's ABC's got. They could have Chris Fowler do it, right? Yeah. It's it's gonna be it, it'll be interesting to me to see how visible it's you know in the, Vegas that's Klyovkov's town, right? Like, yeah. Will he be visible? Will he be there? You know, I I think too. Like, you look at if we're gonna boo George Klyovkov, you might as well boo the twelve 
chancellors and presidents as well. Like, put their faces up on the Jumbotron as well. Uh, yeah. I think there's a lot of blame to be passed around. You know who's not going to be there? Uh, Pac-12 Networks. They are. Uh, there's going to be no linear coverage of the championship game. Now, the game is going to be broadcast by ABC, but there's going to be no linear coverage by the Pac-12 Networks pregame or postgame, which is kind of a fitting end to Pac-12 Networks coverage of, uh, uh, of the football. You know, the, it's been so difficult to get for so many years, and now here we are, the last championship game, and it's it's not going to be – there's going to be no nothing on the linear networks uh, from, from Vegas. It was a part of a budget decision that was approved by the conference, and uh, so that was it. The game on – uh, the with the post game show last weekend, that was it. There's no more Pac-12 networks linear coverage of football. I uh, I wonder what will happen with the Pac-12 networks because we all kind of assume it's going away. But if Oregon State, Washington State, they're going to have some home football games that they're going to want produced next year. Will they use the infrastructure? Will they keep? Uh, will they keep around? Um, you know, some of the talent. I. I don't know because, you know, obviously the Mountain West Conference partnership, scheduling partnership will be rolled out. It'll be six games for Oregon State, six games for Washington State. Um, beyond that, Oregon State and Washington State will control the media rights for their home games, Wilner. Will they just sell those off a la carte to Fox, ESPN, whoever bids? Or do you think they will try to produce them on the Pac-12 networks and, and uh, you know, monetize it that way? I mean, they would probably only try to produce them on the Pac-12 networks if they've got some kind of digital partner, right? If Apple is interested, I mean, if if it's just ESPN, Fox, CBS, those those folks, I don't know. I'm not sure how much use there would be for the for the production and studio and all that technology. I don't. It's yeah. it, the whole that piece is just one of very of many very interesting aspects of what the Cougars and and Beavers are are trying to do. And we got there was a little bit of news today, right, about the schedule. And I, I know you've reported a lot about what they're doing, but it seems like they're going to have fairly representative schedules next season, doesn't it? Yeah, and and I think they feel good about it. And Scott Barnes, the AD at Oregon State, said that you know he he was talking about the schedule. And Oregon State, for example, will play six games against Mountain West Conference opponents. They'll play an FCS opponent in Idaho State. That gets them to seven. They'll play Washington State. That gets them to eight. And then they're going to add four games, he said, against Power Four conference teams. So, And he said the ink's not dry on all those deals. One of them probably is Oregon. They get Purdue. That, so they've got two unknowns. And I kind of think, my, I'm speculating. I don't have this from a source or anything, Wilner, but I kind of think it's going to be Cal and Stanford who need games that may play Washington State and Oregon State. It's not Utah. Uh, I I uh, checked. I ran that down. Utah will not be playing Washington State or Oregon State with their vacancy or their opening. But I kind of think it might be Cal and Stanford trying to stay on the western part of the country and play Oregon State and Washington State. But they, well, and they yeah. need to because the ACC's only got eight conference games, right? Yeah, they have two openings each. So they have got openings. That's right. Uh so that it makes a lot of sense. It'd be good yeah. for good for everybody involved. The more games, uh, regional games between schools that have been in the Pac-12, I think the better for fans, better for the schools. So, it, 
you know, they've got to get that schedule thing. That's got to be sorted out soon too. Right. I mean, yeah. the transfer portal uh, pushes, makes, creates a pressurized situation for but, everybody. But what they're going to do is I think they're going to sit down with the players and they're going to say, look, we're going to play six Mountain West conference games. We've got Purdue at home. If you're Oregon state, you got Idaho state at home. And, and Scott Barnes says that he can be more candid with players and the prospective new coach than he will be publicly until the ink's dry, but they can talk a little bit about who they're talking with. And, you know, he did say that they will be, it'll be six Mountain West games, group of five games. It'll be five power uh, four conference opponents, and it'll be the one FCS game. And I think that'll hold up for Washington State as well. Now, there's been some talk about getting the Civil War reconnected. Uh, you know, Washington and Washington State are going to play. If the Civil War game happens, very likely Texas Tech will be swapping the game they were going to play at Oregon in the early part of next season in September and instead go to Pullman and play Washington State. So I'm told that that has been discussed. Texas Tech could go to Pullman to play a game, and then Oregon would then, in that window, play uh, Oregon State and keep the Civil War going. So there's a lot of that going on. And, of course, Dave Brown, the scheduling savant, is in the middle of all of that. Uh, yep. As it unfolds, I don't know if the players are as tuned into, you know, knowing the schedule as maybe fans and media are. No, I don't think so. They're just into knowing their NIL deals, right? 100%. I mean, and that's we should do a, an entire episode on on what the NIL deals are like these days. But you know, with the portal opening on Monday, uh, you know, it's just the, it's it's. To say it's free agency, it doesn't even do it justice. It's more just total anarchy out there. And, you know, Washington State and Oregon State are going to get hit hard by guys leaving the portal, but a lot of schools are going to get hit hard by by players leaving the portal, right? So it is going to be just wild on uh, starting on Monday. And that's, and that's part of the reason why everybody's pressed to get their coaching situations uh, straightened out, right? I mean, UCLA, Chip Kelly was uh, – you know, his future was in jeopardy there, it seemed like, for a little bit. But now there's a report in the LA Times that he's going to come back next year. What do you make of that one? Well, I think you look at the portal and you can say that the transfer portal is driving a lot of decision-making. Michigan State has to offer Jonathan Smith, you know, the day he's playing the Civil War game and get it done because he wants maximum time to get in position for the portal. Then Oregon State domino effect has to make a hire within days, like, you know, what is it? On Saturday morning, Jonathan Smith tells Oregon State he's leaving officially. Monday, they're interviewing seven candidates. Like, that's what the portal has done. It's crunched everybody down. And I have no doubt that UCLA was going, hey, do we really want to be in a position where we are changing head coaches and the portal is six, seven days away and Chip Kelly's on the open market? What does that do to Dante Moore? You know, do we have a quarterback? And, oh, by the way, you're going to the Big Ten in a year. So I, I actually think, like, people are criticizing the move. I get it. Like, they are valuing continuity and saying, we deal with that headache while we're also trying to pack our luggage. Yeah, it's interesting because they've got to – they want to be in good position going into the Big Ten, but it's wor it's even worse if you make a coaching change and you hire the wrong guy. You can't step back, right? Uh, better to go in with your known commodity, even if you're not thrilled with what's happened under Chip. You know, he, you know he's a good coach and the program will be solid and that's better than taking a taking a swing and and missing 
and setting you setting yourself back even further going into the Big Ten, right? The whole this whole thing about conference transitions is is certainly part of the calculation for other schools, right? I mean, Arizona's trying to lock up Jed Fish. Uh, UCLA's got Chip Kelly. Uh, I've been trying to think how many coaching changes besides Oregon State will any of the other schools currently in the Pac-12. But anybody else lose their head coach this offseason? What do you think? I don't think they will. I think I think the uh, coaches more so than ever have got leverage in that they control to a large extent. The relationship becomes the glue to the school, and the coach leaves, and what happens? Half the team leaves. And the NIL partner can only do so much. Like Oregon State is trying to raise a million dollars. They've got a million-dollar match from a booster, and – they're going to use that money to try to keep some players. Now, Damian Martinez, the second-leading rusher in the Pac-12, is saying right now, Wilner, that he's going to stay at Oregon State. He's not staying because he likes the scenery. He's staying because he's hearing something from the collective that he likes. And and I think Oregon State's looking for a win, a big, visible win that can help glue some other, uh, other talent to the offensive side of the ball because they know they're going to get decimated as Jonathan Smith. And, you know, he leaves. You, Aiden Childs, is he going to Michigan State? Like, you know, his parents told me early on that he was a uh, he was you know in it for Jonathan. You know, it wasn't Oregon State; it was Jonathan. And so the coaches, I think, have a whole bunch of influence, of course, and and maybe more so than ever, given the portal and the importance on recruiting. Yeah, and did you see uh, Kenny Dillingham, who we had on the show what, two weeks ago, and was fantastic? You know, Arizona State season ended. And he's like, yeah, my coaches are going to go recruit. I'm going to try to raise money for our NAL uh, endeavors here at ASU. I mean, that's what it has become is the coaches are are trying to generate enthusiasm among the donors for NIL opportunities to keep players from going in, into the portal. It is just uh, incredible where the sport is now compared to just – just a few years ago, right? It's just amazing. It's a whole, it's an entirely different operation and it's going to keep changing. And I think, you know, right now it's about survival for some schools. It's about transition for others, but for Oregon and Washington, it's about a conference championship game and a possible berth in the college football playoff. Can we start there, Wilner? Does the winner of the Pac-12 title game get to the playoff? No, I don't think it's a done deal. And to me, the big stumbling block is the SEC. Okay. If let's say that, first of all, if Washington wins and Washington's 13 and 0, they're in. There's no chance they're getting left out. But let's say Oregon wins and it's not, the game's not great, not well, super well played, something like that. And then let's say Alabama beats Georgia. So what if your, what if your options and you're the committee and their options are, 13 and 0 Florida State, 13 and 0 Michigan. And then you've got 12 and 1 Alabama that has won the SEC title, 12 and 1 Oregon, it's Pac-12 champ. 12 and 1 Texas that has beaten Alabama and won the Big 12. And 12 and 1 Georgia that has not won a conference championship but is Georgia hasn't lost in I don't know how many years, back-to-back national champs. What do you do if if you're the committee and you've got those teams? Specifically, you've got Alabama, Georgia, and Oregon. Who are you picking? It's going to come down to, I think, style points in, in the conference championship games. 
They say the com- the committee says that it is supposed to value conference champions. Okay, so if Alabama beats Georgia, I mean, I just don't know how you leave Georgia out. Uh, you know, you can't expand the playoff to 12 on short notice, which is what they should have done. But, uh, you know, I think it will come down to style points then. You know, does Oregon look like it's the best team in the country if it wins the Pac-12 championship? Does Alabama decimate Georgia in the SEC title game? What You know, I think you have to look at the style points, and, and I think that's why it's really interesting to see that Oregon and Washington are, will take place on Friday. You know, if Washington wins the game, how you can't keep an undefeated team out. But if no, Oregon, they're, they're yeah, in. But if Oregon wins it, I do think it will matter. Like, if it comes down to that nightmare scenario, Oregon's going to need to, in the fourth quarter, have its foot to the, you know, pedal to the metal and and be flexing and say, look, we're, we're not just the conference champion. We just beat an undefeated team by 21. Like, you're going to need that yeah. kind of statement if you're going to get into a, you know, a, into a beauty pageant with Alabama and Texas. They are because that is going to be one of Oregon's issues re- for, with its resume could be the the lack of wins over ranked teams compared to the other playoff contenders, right? They will have beaten Oregon State and they would have beaten Washington. And those will be their only two off the top of my head. I'm trying to think. I think their only two wins over over teams in the committee's rankings because Utah has fallen out and they didn't play Arizona. And Texas Tech is what, you know, six and six, five and seven, something like that. So meanwhile, you got Georgia and Alabama that are going to have more wins over ranked teams than Oregon. So that's another issue for the Ducks. So the the Pac-12 really needs Georgia to win. Now, Georgia should win, but if Alabama pulls an upset, I think the Pac-12, and, and if Alabama and Oregon both win, it is going to be uh, dicey, I think, on Sunday morning. What happens in the Pac-12 championship game? Man, you think it's going to be as close as it was? No. Regardless of who wins, do you just do you think it's going to be a super close game? I think if, or, if Washington wins, I think it could be close. I think I, but I, I'm picking Oregon big. I think Oregon is, um, you know, Oregon came out of that loss in week seven angry. It was uh, fist clenched, glassy eyes. Washington was celebrating like, you know, it won the Super Bowl and, you know, it was a big win for Washington. It was at home. And I think Oregon felt like it was the better team that day and lost the game. And if you look at, the region of victory in the Oregon games after, and a lot of those teams were the same opponents that Washington played, Oregon just clobbered everybody and has played like a team that it's Charles Bronson in Death Wish. I mean, they're walking around swinging a sock full <laughs> of quarters. It's, it you know, they are locked in and and playing like this, this is it for them. And, you know, I would be concerned if, if Oregon had looked uh, soft at any point, but you know Bo Nix has been remarkable, and Oregon's defense has played even better coming out of that game than it was before. And Oregon just is all business right now, and so I I think it's going to be a bit of an ambush in that Pac-12 title game. And I think Washington's best chance is if Michael Penix Jr. can just play lights out and go for 300-plus yards and three or four touchdown passes, then it's a game. But you look at common opponents. Washington beat common opponents by 66 points. Ducks beat them by 192. I don't think this game's close, Wilner. 
So you would the line the last line I saw was nine points. Would you take Oregon and give nine points? Yes, I think it's gonna. I think it'll be a double digit win, and I think Woo. I think Washington's best case is panics just goes nuts and keeps them in the game. But I don't like how he's looked, and I and you know I I think Washington. You have to tip your cap to Washington. Twelve wins, undefeated conference season. That's nothing to scoff at. Like that is amazing what they've done. But I look at the margin of victory, Wilner. It's two. It's three. It's six. It's, yeah. You know, there. This is Oregon. This isn't Oregon State. And you know, I look at the way that Washington played Oregon State just a couple weeks ago, and then Oregon. You know, some of it may be Oregon State rolled over with Jonathan Smith out the door, but Oregon was is just all business, and I think they will be again this week. So I have two thoughts. One is. Not a huge deal, but certainly worth mentioning is the Ducks have got an extra day, right? Because they played Friday. Meanwhile, Washington played a very difficult game, and and Oregon played, and it turned into you know a, a comfortable win Friday evening over the Beavers. Washington had to play Saturday afternoon in a slugfest. Went down to the last play against the uh, against Washington State in the Apple Cup. This time of year, that extra day matters. I also wonder, though, uh, Dan Lanning's mindset, and you certainly have better insight than I do, but, you know, he has taken a lot of criticism uh, for his play calling in the last two games against Washington, right? The game in, in Eugene late last year, the game in Seattle in October being too aggressive, if not reckless, on some fourth downs, on going for touchdowns instead of field goals. And I just wonder... You know, to me, Oregon's got a better chance if Lanning kind of eases off the pedal a little bit rather than trying to floor it and essentially make up for the perception that he screwed up earlier. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally know what you're saying. And I think it, it's interesting when he came out of that game, I think he said all the right things in the news conference following. But I also think down deep he was probably doing some soul searching going, you know, he knows he needed to kick at least one of those two field goals. It would have been a completely different game. And I will be really interested to see if he gets in a fourth and short situation early in the title game, if he goes for it, or, you know, if he, does he stay on brand, or does he try to take the points? Does he lay up? You know, it's it just hasn't been his style. But I, I think he's got the team that's playing better, and I think they felt like, you know, in game one, they outgained Washington. They out-first-downed Washington. They... They made some terrible strategic mistakes, and Michael Penix Jr. got him at the end. You can't make this a one-score game with Penix Jr. in there. He's too good. Roma Dunze's too good. If you make it a one-score game, that's what Washington fans are hoping for. Yep. And, and the Huskies, you can't underestimate knowing, just knowing how to win. All these close games, you know, Oregon hadn't been in a close game since the Washington game, right? If it's close, fourth quarter— the Huskies are in their comfort zone. How do the Ducks respond, right? Washington And Washington knows, right, that it's not going to be a confidence issue because they've beaten Oregon the last two games. So to me, I agree with you. You know, you look at it on paper and Oregon is playing better and has the momentum and all the metrics in their favor. And I see where the, why that line is at nine. But I also think, man, the Huskies have got moxie, and they're tough, totally. and they find a way. And I just can't imagine that they're going to go out with a rel, you know, what would be a, a whimper, essentially. 
that building is going to be about 50-50, I think, as it pertains to, you know, who's got the home field advantage. And I love that stadium. It's been a, a terrific venue for the conference title game since they moved it there. And uh, it's going to be a great game. I mean, Wilner, it's going to be a fantastic game. And uh, I'll be curious to see, you know, where where this game is and can Washington, if Washington can make it a one-score game, you it's difficult to not pick Michael Penix Jr. in that scenario. But I just, or, Oregon's focus has been laser-like since losing in Week 7. And yeah. uh, I think they're getting better and better, and Knicks is looking better and better. And, you know, we haven't talked Heisman. The Heisman ballots will be due on the Monday after the title game. Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. got a lot of eyeballs on them, as do some of the other conference championship games. And there's a shot here that somebody gets Heisman votes as well as a title. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting piece about the Heisman is that one of the betting favorites didn't even play it, right? Jane Daniels, the LSU quarterback, LSU season is done. So he's got great statistics. He's had an incredible season. He's got the SEC hype machine working in his favor. The the voting has been open, uh, is open this entire week. So if you're one of the 900 and I can't remember off the top of my head, it's like 960, yeah. Yeah. 970 voters, there's nothing stopping you right now from casting your ballot for my for for Jaden Daniels and not even waiting for the Pac-12 championship game to to play out. And five sixth of the Heisman voting regions are in the Eastern and Central time zones. Jaden Daniels played every one of his games in the Eastern and Central time zones, and I wonder how many of those voters are casting their ballots now. And are not even going to take a a look at how Penix and Knicks do, and Daniels ends up ha- with this thing wrapped up before the Oregon Washington game even starts. Now I don't I don't think that's going to happen, but it's certainly a possibility that there's a lot of votes for Daniels before Friday night. And you're hitting on something that I've been thinking about and haven't really talked about. It's that Oregon's marketing campaign for Bo Nix, the billboards. The newspaper ads, getting somebody to hold a sign at game day every weekend. I mean, there. This week, I've seen two different marketing pushes for Bo Nix already in the first two days of the week. And Oregon's got uh, doing some spending right now because they know that getting a Heisman Trophy candidate will bring other Heisman Trophy candidates to campus. And I'm looking over at Washington and going, you know, I would have liked to seen more of that. Even though people laugh at it, people point at it, go, "Oh, look, they're trying to buy a Heisman. They're trying to market." I get what Oregon's doing, and I think Washington could have done more for Michael Penix Jr. I think they could have done more for him. And that the fact that those two guys are likely going to end up on a lot of ballots is amazing for the conference. That you got Caleb Williams last year, and you're going to get Knicks and Penix getting a whole bunch of votes. They should both be finalists and be at the downtown athletic club when this thing is announced. But um, I got to put— Yeah, we'll gotta, see if they split the votes. We'll I need see to if they see, split the West Coast they votes. Could, that would That would— they could, but I'm I'm curious to see if Knicks will pop up on ballots in the SEC country because of his time at Auburn. I don't know. Are, you know, is there more of a tune-in factor from the SEC right. media that's voting? But Jaden well, Daniels and, and Penix has got that background, right? I mean, he played at Indiana, yep. so he's got a Midwestern some Midwestern roots there with those voters, and had a great game at Michigan State. So that's a yeah. Those are. Issues that, that voters are going to have to take into account. The the LSU argument on Jaden Daniels is solid. I mean, his numbers are prolific. 
that offense is amazing. But I keep coming back to something, and you know, I'm I was I've watched him. It's it's great, you know. And I keep coming back to the fact that I think LSU would be nine and three with anybody else who's competent at quarterback. I think that offense and the season that they've had would be about the same if you just took a competent quarterback and stuck him in that role. I look at Washington. There's no way Washington's undefeated without Michael Penix Jr. They'd be like a three-loss, four-loss team. And there's no way Oregon is where it is without Bo Nix. Same thing. Like, you know, you could see multiple losses if you, you know, take a quarterback from the past, recent past at Oregon or Washington, and you plug him into that position. So I'm looking at Nix and Penix, and, and you know, we can talk touchdown passes and who played and who came out of the game in the third quarter because it was a blowout and – you know, who didn't, and we can do all that you want. But in the end, I'm going, Jaden Daniels, did he elevate LSU beyond what they could have been without him? Those other two guys did. And it's it's why, you know, I still need to see the Pac-12 championship game, and I need either Oregon wins and Bo Nix is the reason Oregon wins, that will get him votes, or Washington wins and Penix is the reason Washington wins, that'll get him votes. But I think if Jaden Daniels steals this thing, It'll be a uh, it'll be a mild uh, a mild shame because I think it is really yeah. yeah it's really hard for Pac-12 unless you have the USC football platform it is really hard to win the Heisman out of the Pac-12 Mariota did it Mariota is the only Pac-12 player who's not from USC to win the Heisman since Jim Plunkett in late, late 1971-72 right and Mariota started that season as the he started in 2014. I think he was the betting favorite before the first game and Oregon just rolled and was in the playoff. Uh, but it is really hard, whether it's Penix and Knicks or Christian McCaffrey, Andrew Luck. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of guys uh, that have been, had great seasons, but couldn't win it because of the way the whole Heisman voting uh, regions and the 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 marketing piece, all of it is structured. It, it works against the Pac-12. And and you go back to Christian McCaffrey's sophomore year at Stanford. He breaks Barry Sanders' single season record for all purpose yards. Nobody's ever been better. And he loses, doesn't win the Heisman Trophy. He goes to Derrick Henry, you know, yep. who who happens to be playing at Alabama. I mean, Derrick Henry's a great player, but. That was Christian McCaffrey's year. Like anybody with those numbers should have won that award. It should yes. have been close. So I watched every one. I, I covered Stanford that year. I, I watched every one of McCaffrey's touches of the ball. His problem was 55% of those all-purpose yards came in games that started at 7 o'clock Pacific or later. Stanford had this huge stretch through October. 7 o'clock, 7.30, 7 o'clock, 7.30. And so – the East Coast audience, you know, and again, five-sixths of the Heisman voters are located in the eastern half of the country. They didn't see him play a lot of those games. And that was, you know, it wasn't just the Pac-12 networks issue. Certainly that was part of it. It was generally the night games that, that you know, derailed him. Otherwise, he would have won in, in a landslide. The finalists that year were Derrick Henry, who won it, Christian McCaffrey, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield after him. That was a really good year, but Christian McCaffrey was the uh, was the best player that year. I mean, his numbers supported that. 
I uh, appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast. So, Wilner, did you give a pick? Did you give? Are you picking? Oh, Oregon? I didn't give a pick. I will give a pick. I'm going 34-28 Ducks. So you're picking the Ducks by six. Um, I think it'll be more. I think it's going to be 42-21 Oregon in the title game. 42-21. I think, I think right. they'll win comfortably and move on. But uh, we'll see. Tweet at us. Give us your picks. You can read me at johnconzano.com. You can read Wilner at pac12hotline.com. Remember to go to pacificseafood.com and use the promo code Konzano and Wilner to get 12% off your purchase. If you want to ship it to a friend or a family member as a holiday gift, you can do that at pacificseafood.com. And we're back next week. We'll talk uh, college football playoff. We'll talk more about the Heisman and whatever the heck else is going on as it pertains to college football. Thanks, everyone.